Hello, welcome to the Call Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call Like I See It, we're going to discuss fascism, which is a term that comes up from time to time when when we see what people believe is government overreached, overreach. But it's it's a term that is probably overused, and because of that, there's some danger that go along with the fact that it's being overused, and we'll get into that. And later on. We're going to take a look at Ozempic and the class of weight loss drugs that seem to be upending our understanding of how weight loss and obesity relate to willpower and exercise and also causing a lot of people to lose a lot of weight. Joining me today is a man who is always ready to crank things up. Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde, are you ready to show us why you're the guy with money in the bank? No, because then you're gonna know I have money in the bank. So I'm <laughs> don't give not, away your secret. Yeah, remember I'm <laughs> I'm stealth, man. I'm like an F thirty five. I just want to show up and just drop bombs on you without anyone noticing. There we so, go. There we well, go. I'll let other guys be the, the loud army tank and, and machine gun. You know. <laughs> All right. Now we're recording this on August twenty first, twenty twenty three, and on fascism. The first thing I wanted to note here is that I mean, obviously, the nature of our discussion. Everything that you hear described as fascist or, you know, stuff like that, everything, everyone that's a fascist or things that are fascism, that stuff's not always fascism. And beyond just like the slanderous way it's used, you know, to, to say, oh, this is fascist or this person's fascist or whatever, a big problem that can come when a term is overused like that and, you know, is that it can essentially become a slur and lose the meaning to people. And so when that happens... If fascist stuff actually starts happening and you call it out as fascism, it's not going to really have any effect, you know, because the meaning is lost. It's just like, oh, well, you're just saying that that person's bad or you're just saying that you don't like that thing. And so you get into a dangerous situation where things can be happening and there's a name for those things. Yet the name for those, you can't even use the name to call them those things. So we're going to get into to what fascism actually is and, you know, just some examples of what we see out there in historical and, you know, in the modern day. And to get us started, Tunde, now, as I said, we see the word fascism thrown around a lot, but what specific characteristics do you associate with fascism? You know, and how is that just different from aggressive politics or something like that? Yeah, this is a great question. And, um, you know, it's difficult uh, without throwing a bunch of pejoratives around to really define this one. Because <laughs> um, these things that are considered pejorative in our society or have yeah. been historically conceived, well, at, at, you know, seen as pejorative. Like you said, it seems like everybody who doesn't like their opponent will end up calling them fascists at some point. So that means... Or if they don't like something, somebody... Remember during the pandemic, everything that was happening, yeah, oh, that's aware, fascist, that's yeah. fascist. Oh, the, it's like, what? So oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just one of those that I think... Um, well, and 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 what's interesting in preparing for today's show, I think there's a reason for that, is because fascism as a kind of political, whether you want to call it a movement or a political way of being, in a sense, the way an or a society can organize itself. Let's put it that way: a large society um, has clearly been tried. Um, the most famous example is Mussolini, who started the fascist party in Italy in 1919. So he was. You know, definitely, he 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 was the first politician to overtly say, "I'm going this direction." Yeah. However, um, I think basically from what we'll get into today um, and just explain, there is a reason why fascist governments don't seem to survive that long. 
And I think fascism, what I found fascinating in just preparing is, um, and, and we'll get into it more, I know, uh, is fascism is really an offshoot of the modern kind of indust- post-industrial age, uh, post-World War One. Just like Marxism and communism were also manifestations of the industrial age, um, so was fascism. And it's just, these are different ways that people sought to respond to the initial booms and busts of the 19th century um, industrial age. You know, both in let Europe me just add, and here. A little, add something to that. I'll let you keep going. But yeah. the thing that's really interesting to me is how fascism and, and socialism can be seen almost as extremes. In terms yeah. of now, again, socialism is another one of these words. Like when I say socialism, that doesn't mean, oh, you have a public police department. So you're a socialist or you have public roads. So you're socialist. I'm talking about real socialism where there's no private ownership of capital. Yeah. Um, and so when you have like socialism is an extreme when you're looking at it like that, like, hey, we are going the state's going to own everything. That's an extreme. Fascism is also an extreme. And historically, like our country is what has played in the middle more. So, you know, the liberalism kind of thing is more in the middle uh, of those liberalism slash to some degree free enterprise and things like that. But go ahead. Yeah. And and what's interesting about fascism and this kind of I think there's a distinction I'll make in a minute about fascism versus authoritarianism. Um, there's actually some distinctions between them, but I think which are key to the post-industrial yeah. age, actually. Yeah, correct. That's what I mean, and it's it's pretty fascinating that fascism is very distinct on its own, where authoritarianism is something we've seen, you know, throughout history. Um, but the, the to really get into what what seems to be. Uh, what what seem to be the ingredients, let's put it that way, that could make up a fascist um, kind of situation, you know, you would you would have to say the cult of personality, um, that's part of it. That's not necessarily got to be a part of authoritarianism. Um, fascist movements tend to be revolutionary, which is their whole purpose is to upend the existing order, which again, an authoritarian, you know, you could say that the Saudi um, royal family is authoritarian, but they're not revolutionary. You know what I mean? Um, they're, they're, the MBS isn't sitting there trying to upend his own family's rule in, in the society. So Or change everything that everybody's doing. In fact, they're more rigid trying to keep everything is as it was correct, 50 years yeah. ago or 100 years ago, at least and, in terms of culturally. And that's the the other one, which is important, which, which to your point, wouldn't be what MBS would try to do, right? Is what they call popular mobilization, which is, and that's why as separate to, let's say, just authoritarianism, fascism always involves some sort of populism, a movement. So it's almost like you need the movement, the reason why people are disturbed or upset. So in Italy, it was post-World War I by 1919, and Mussolini was able to um, manifest those emotions. Hitler in, in, in Germany in the 30s was similar. And we have people now playing on emotions of people around the world in whatever countries. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting combination. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And so I think because of that, it's sometimes it, it, that's why you can, it can get overused, because yeah. like you said, there, there is there is an authoritarian kind of autocratic way of being. And that's usually based around like a dictatorial leader who, as you pointed out, has the cult of personality. So that you can see in other forms of government, you know, just a king or, you know, a central ruler or whatever that, that holds all the power. Like you see that, you know, um, suppression of opposition, you know, like which in contrast to liberal governments where 
you're supposed to have, you know, freedom of speech and things like that. Just because you speak out against the government, you shouldn't get locked up. Well, in a fascist state, that's not how it works. Like you, you, you forcible suppression of your of people who are against you. Um, and it's also very hierarchical, you know, in, in terms of how it operates. And there's there's a hierarchy of, OK, this group of people is above everyone else or this gender is above everyone else. And you can see that in other Again, all of these things are things that you can see in other types of ideologies or other types of ways of organizing society. But the way fascism puts them all together in a way, you know, I thought one of the things that really stood out to me was you, you mentioned that I wanted to, to just touch on a little bit more is how it does involve. It's not a leader saying like in, in a lot of authoritarian type regimes, the leader says, I got this. And, you know, we're just going to do what we need to do. You guys, you know, the, the people can, you know, kind of everybody lives their quote unquote, miserable life or their normal life. And the leader's got all the everything under control. You don't have to worry about the government, so to speak. They, the leader has his people and everything like that. Whereas fascism, as you said, it, it there is a group of people that are brought in and felt like they're, they're, they're party members or, you know, if you look at the Nazi party or whatever and, and the different organizations that can be in that. And this group of people are, are heavily involved in making things happen and making like the society move in the direction of the fascism or whatever. One of the interesting examples was Mussolini, when he actually was appointed prime minister, it was, it, he didn't have the, the majority in his country yet in, in the parliament, but he had enough. And then there was belief he had, he had riled up his supporters in the country enough that they thought there was going to be a civil war if the, the lead, the, the people who ended up working with his party to put him as the prime minister, they thought there'd be a civil war if, if he wasn't put in power. So yeah. so the people were a really big part and how fired up the people were, were was a very big part of how he rose to power and how he maintained power, you know, because that ends up, ends up well, getting into the black shirts and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that actually is something that I'm glad you, you went there because I omitted that from my initial um kind of bullet points, which is one that I, I can't believe I forgot, which is the use of violence being accepted as a political remedy uh, when well, you're yeah, not that, satisfied. That's, so, that, it, that's when, I, when I said the forcible suppression of uh, opposition. Yeah. I'm glad you fleshed that out a little bit more because that's the category that that falls under. But yeah. that sounds kind of benign. You know, no, and, <laughs> but and, we're talking and, no, about but, actually threats, intimidation and violence as part of the normal toolkit of how you are supposed to, to, to implement and enact the things that. Yeah. And, and let's be clear. The reason why violence uh, and, and threats are used as a political tool by fascists. I think that's one of the things that also is unique about fascism is that um, it's, 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 it's kind of known that this is how they're going to operate because. Well, that's not unique about fascism though. That's something you'll see that in a lot of well, what I mean by systems. Well, but what I mean by that is because fascism, at least in, again, like we've said, right, it hasn't really, uh, it, it's, it's, it's flourished in systems that were before the fascism started democratic. That's what I'm saying. And it's different than, let's say, going back, I don't want to keep picking on Saudi Arabia, but they're an easy example just because they're a monarchy that's authoritarian. If, if, if their religious police, you know, beat someone that's on the street for not complying with whatever, you know, the, the law is there, that is violence, but there is no real political system there. You see what I'm saying? Whereas fascists use violence in order to dominate the existing democratic system. And that's why, well, initially, like you said, yeah, well, they do yeah, it all, I mean. all the time, but that's one of yeah. the ways they initially kind of get in. Correct. One thing that you said there, I want to pull out real quick, which is very interesting is that 
at least in the example, a lot of the examples we've seen historically, how fascism is something that evolves out of democratic systems. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that it, key. And that's yeah. one of the ways that it happens. So it happens with sometimes with there's there's people getting elected, you know, famously Hitler was elected, you know, yeah. like, but then, you know, the, these these means, like I said, part of the toolkit, once you get in power to get into power, and then once you get in power to maintain power, it expanded. It's not debate. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, well. yeah, this person's talking. We need to intimidate this person. We need to threaten this person. Like, that's part of the normal and accepted way that they're going to operate. No, but think about what we're saying, right? Like you said, there's a great point about Mussolini that part of the reason why the other elites acquiesced to him, even though he had a minority uh, in terms of at least the, the minority of numbers in and support, yeah. was because they feared violence. So it was the intimidation. It was the it was the threat that if if you know what if you guys don't let us in here we're gonna blow this whole thing up yeah 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 that was you know, it was right after the it's the march on Rome it was, it was yeah the, the mass so that's, demonstration yeah. that's not new and it's not um and it's not unique to Italy but it is something that democracies that's my point democracies generally don't welcome that right because democracy the whole point of a liberal democracy and why it's a threat to fascism is because solving problems. Well, no, <laughs> well, yeah, that's my election. point. Solving problems is done through debate in either yeah. parliament or in the United States in, and voting. In, you know, the, the House of Representatives yeah. and the Senate. Yeah. So and and people voting, correct. So and if you when, and if you count votes, you could win or lose. And fascists by their belief system, their hierarchical belief system, their consolidation of power, they're not in it to lose elections. It's like correct. the only elections only happen and if we're gonna win. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things, though, that and before when I do want to move to the next section, um, and that gets into how in these fascist systems, the the slide that goes from democracy and we have things that we're going to put into the show notes that really have some more reading. One of them from the Council for Relations, and they talk they talk about actually the there's five stages, you know, uh, that that some academics I want to give credit to the guy, um, but. Um, Robert Paxton is a historian and he talks about the five stages of fascism. And I know you want to touch on this, but let's touch on it yeah. briefly. But just in terms Definitely. of how you can, like, it's almost charted out how a country can go from a democratic system. Now, how open that democratic system is, is, is a matter of, you know, that can change. But a democratic system, a system where people argue, people run, and then people win and lose elections and so forth. And you lose election, you just move on. You don't, you know, say, oh, I, I have to win, you know, so to speak. And to see it mapped out like that is very interesting because that allows you to draw parallels, draw things that you can say, okay, well, this is similar to this, or this is similar to that, or this is distinct from there. Because again, the, the, the piece about the fascism is it's a specific mix of things, you know, and that's where that's the biggest takeaway I wanted to, to, to really have here is that you have this mix of things. It's not all one thing. It's not just a straight dictatorship because a dictatorship, as we said, doesn't really necessarily have to involve the, 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 the masses in their exercise of power. They can have their secret police and their, you know, they're the military and they don't need the people. The people just need to shut up. But fascism is a big part of that, you know. And yeah. so but yeah, I, 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 any comments on the five stages or anything else before we move to the next section? Yeah, I mean, I actually think this is a segue to the next section, so I'll I'll, I'll mention them and then pass it back for you to uh, you to take us there. So the first is um, that fascism kind of begins and emerges out of a sense of disillusion disillusionment for the population. So it's easy, yeah. like we said about 1919. Obviously, a lot of European countries were 
reeling from the damage and, and all that and the, and the um, poverty caused by the First World War. And then, you know, the same thing, what Hitler was able to spark in the German people in the 30s was their disillusionment about the reparations they had to pay and the 13% of the German land they had to give back to European neighbors. And what they felt was the disrespect, you know, to their country and their and their and their their group. And a key um, piece of that, by the way, is it's not disillusionment of 100% of the people in the population. It only has to be a disillusionment of a, it can be a minority, but it has to be yeah. a minority that is either active or a minority that is forceful kind of in the way they, 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 they're very upset, you yeah. know, like not just, not just on the fence, but that's, I, I think, cause a lot of times we're like, oh, well, is the whole society disillusioned? Well, maybe, but everybody's not going to go this direction. But what you need is you need that level of disillusionment present for then someone to be able to, 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 to jump on and take advantage of. Yep. And so then the next is establishing legitimacy as a political party. So a good example would be the Nazi party that was established in the early 20s. And remember, Hitler marched first on, on Berlin and, and the Reichstag in, um, in uh, 19, or the parliament, I should say, in 1925. And he spent time, he got arrested. And it got, it's like their version of January 6th back then. <laughs> and then he came back and eight years later, he was, he was uh, the chancellor, right? So so hopefully he, not their version of January he was, 6th. Well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but the idea is that he was a serious about having a political party and a position, you know, and, and it, so it's like, like we talked about, right? It's not like he said, I'm going to come from the side and create something new. He said, no, I'm going to go in and infiltrate this parliament, this democracy, and then just take it over. And one um, interesting thing there, I'll add, is yeah. that in a parliamentary system, a lot of times this can be when you establish your legit legitimacy as a political party, it can be you create a party or you take a party that's obscure and then you you build them up, you know, because in a parliamentary system, you have a lot of parties operating at all times. And remember, it's after the voting, after the parliament is seated, that the co governing coalitions are formed. The coalitions are formed after the, 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 the voting and the elections. But in a two-party system, for example, that necessarily wouldn't work because the coalitions between the different interest groups are formed before the election. They All these coalitions get together and say, okay, I'm a D or I'm an R or whatever it is. And so interesting to me is that in this these type of stages, in a democratic system like the one in the United States, it might not play out with a political party from the outside comes in. It may play out with a part of the coalition of one of the parties decides to go this direction and can bring the, the rest of the party along with them. Yep. Let's see if that's possible as we continue this conversation. <laughs> so then the, the third one, and I'll speed it up so we can keep moving. The third one is gaining power via right-wing partnerships. So to me, that was, you know, controlling the media, for example. And if you think about, again, going back to the Hitler example, you had Joseph Goebbels, who was like the propaganda minister. And you have, you know, think about Russia. And also the, the, wanting, the, the industrialists, the elites in those correct, areas yeah. as well. And, 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 and that's what I was going to say about the controlling of media. So you think about countries like China and Russia today, that, that the, the authoritarian leader feels the need to always control the narrative. And then to your point... We hear about this more in Russia than China, but it still exists in China that the, the idea of oligarchs, these these people that are just wealthy from from kind of maybe natural resource companies, things like that. And then they are in partnership with the leaders of the state. Um, well, their, their, their position as an oligarch depends on their continued allegiance to the state. But yeah. one of the things with this also is just like it's specified here in the material we're talking about that is right wing partnerships. And that's not like, again, keep in mind that fascism is an extreme right wing. Like that's that's going if you keep going out on the spectrum from 
just a center right position, then you get to fascism. Just like if you keep going out to the other direction from a center left position, you will get to a, again, not a pejorative, but a socialism system, like with no private capital, you get all the way out there. So fascism itself, we're talking about an extreme, but it's an extreme on the right. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and and I think to, to, to your point, both fascism and socialism, or let's say communism, maybe at the extreme level are both, um, extremes that developed post-industrial age. They're, they're extreme visions of how to deal with this organization of mass populations and in this, in this in system. In response to things that were happening, you know, like yeah. socialism like is evolving yeah. out of, yeah, the, the Gilded Age and it, people seeing, oh, well, basically one person is going to end up with all the money. And so it, you know, it evolves out of that, but it's an yeah. extreme evolution. It's not the New Deal, for example, is a, a, a center left evolution to seeing that problem, whereas yeah. socialism is just like, hey, let's just, we're just going to take away all the money. Yeah. But go ahead. And well, then, yeah, and then we'll get, and get then, these last two. And let's yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'll hit them quick. Using uh, the number four is using power to dominate institutions. So we'll come back to that. And then the fifth one is implementing radical reform. So yeah. I've got and those comments. actually are similar in the sense that you're using power to do- like you once you once you get into power, you not just operating the government, but you want to control all a lot of aspects. It becomes more totalitarian, yeah. totalitarian and, in that sense. And then you implementing the radical reforms is just then you use the power that you have to make sure that you maintain power or make yeah. sure that your ideology is only thing that's taught and so forth. So the next thing that we wanted to get to kind of in this conversation is just and we'll have to be quick here is just to kind of what examples, you know, like modern day, um, you know, in, in the U.S. today, even, you know, like of where we see like fascist type actors or an agenda, a fascist type agenda that may be unfolding. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, I'll get to the U.S. in a second. I was just thinking internationally because before reading this, I, I thought that Russia would be a good example of more of a fascist nation currently, and I actually wouldn't put them in that category, um, at really. And and I would probably put North Korea more in that category. And what I found interesting yeah. was thinking of the difference to, to contrast an authoritarian leader versus a fascist leader. I thought of China. With she and, and uh, just for the record, a, yeah. a fascist fascist system will have an authoritarian leader. It's just authoritarian plus other stuff. Correct. You know, yeah. like the cult of personality. Well, being that's what I was going to say with Xi, because he doesn't seem to have the cult of personality like uh, King Jong Un or some of the others. Whereas, like China truly is, seems to be more mature about their existence. Like, okay, we're the great Chinese empire. Maybe this is our leader now. We got to pay deference to him, but he won't be around together. What's more important is China. Whereas, it, 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 well, in North, North Korea, they're like talking about how the the the, the grand leader shoots like a thirty six yeah. <laughs> in golf, and like he's it, all, now, these, all this think, superhuman stuff. Like, I think his dad invented the hamburger. Like, like everything. <laughs> like that's really part of the. And that's what I also captured too with some of the stuff that fascism begins to require alternative facts and an alternative reality bubble because. The leader can do no wrong. The leader, well, has and, and like we said too, that once part of the number three gaining power via right wing partnerships, you know, when you start controlling the the ecosystems and the business elites, then the only way for people to survive is to agree with you, which no one is always right one hundred percent of the time. So you have to then start making up stuff to to to, to keep everyone in line as to why the leader is so great. But the cult of personality is just fascinating to me with the, with Trump, you know, and I know yeah. you had circulated the the poll that um, has been yeah. making its rounds that, you know, Trump, you know, more people, you know, of Trump voters 
the um, they trust him more than they trust their friends and family and religious religious leaders and so forth. And that's about seventy one percent said they 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 feel that what he tells you is true, meaning Donald Trump. And they have family and friends at sixty three percent, and religious leaders at forty two percent. Yeah. So this is truly is, and and that's why I don't want to sound like pejorative about this or just like we're joking. Like I think the word word cult is like the word fascism has been beat to death, and people use it all the time just to to, to be a pejorative on anything. But there is a definition of a cult, right? Yeah. I mean, there there is when you lose your kind of reason and ration, and you're saying, okay, seventy one percent of people who answered this poll believe Trump over their own family and friends and over their own pastors and preachers. That's just interesting because I'm going to assume unless it's his kids or his family or close friends, these 71% people who, who said him over everyone else never even met him, but they met their family and they met their pastor. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Like they only know him through media channels. That's what I mean. So it's fascinating. Yeah. And so, but to me, the thing that, 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 Really, in reading all these materials, because again, it clarifies even for for myself, for you, you know, it clarifies. Okay, well, what are we talking about here when we're talking about fascism? And I would say, you know, when you look at voter suppression, when you look at, and which is an issue I'm sensitive to, you know, like I see that, and that 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 offends me that there are so many voter suppression efforts, and that you know, like when you have the, the, the Voting Rights Act, and then it's getting hollowed out by the Supreme Court, and we've seen all these efforts. I, I could think you can make the case that the GOP has slid in a, an authoritarian direction post probably the Southern strategy. Once you bring in all the guys who did Jim Crow, conceivably, it makes sense that you might go in a direction that people are hostile to voting. But Trump is actually what makes this more, uh, gives this more of a fascist bent because there wasn't a cult of personality there. Like it would be, okay, well, is it George W. Bush? Cool. Then we'll roll with George W. Bush. Is it McCain? You know, cool. It wasn't until Trump came along that it was like only Trump all the Trump, you know, everything like that. And so that cult of personality arose. And so I wonder, just from a chicken and that chicken and egg standpoint, like, did, did Trump come along and see a party that was ripe to be consolidated around him? Or was the party just being was was going in a direction that was ripe to be consolidated around a person and Trump was the right guy at the right time? Because, like I said, the, it, without the, the part of the fascist fascism definition is that it, it has to revolve around a cult of personality or like a, 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 a dictatorial type leader who has the people's hearts and minds and can get them to intimidate people and to exert violence and all that kind of stuff on the name of him and, and the party, so to speak. So that piece to me, it, it's, it's an open question. You know, I don't have the answer necessarily, but just how it's all coalesced over the last 10 to 12 years or so is just very interesting to me to see because it's in a different place than it was in 2023 or excuse yeah. me, in 2023 as it was in 2003. Yeah. And, and one of the dangers, I think, of all of this kind of stuff, and let's hope that the American system does hold, is because one of the things I learned in preparing is really, I think one of the reasons that fascism has never lasted as a political um, ideology for a long period of time in any sp- specific government is, is, I think, several fold. One is Kind well, of you're talking about saying. large countries, though, because North Korea yeah. has had a system the way, but that's that's a, it's a smaller, it's it's uniform in terms of population. It's not you know diverse, you know. So, but yeah. but go ahead. Well, and also, I mean, the 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 tragedies and horrors that they did to get it there in terms of you know how they exterminated so many of their own people and and kind of kowtowed them to accepting that. And you're right. And then they have two partners in Russia and China that they can do trade with, so that that helps them survive. But the real thing is. 
you know, number one, like you mentioned, the suppression of the population, all that eventually does come back to bite the fascist government. Um, because usually, like we said, there's a minority of people who are into this stuff and the majority is kind of on the outside. And after a while, they, they just, you know, end up revolting and, and well, they're cool and, as long as they don't have to face consequences. Yeah. But, know, like, they do. but once they and, have to start feeling, it's like, nah, you guys got to go. It burns yeah. hot. That's, that's the thing. Well, and, and part of the reason is really what I learned is really economics. It's the misallocation of resources in the economy that is driven by the fascist way of being in a sense, if we can keep saying that word. And the reason is, is because number one, you have the cult of personality is is necessary for fascism, which means you have a leader who's got these visions of grandiosity and and generally is probably paranoid and doesn't like people that don't agree with them 100%. So what happens is they begin to put fear in anyone who doesn't agree with them and only bring in, it becomes cronyism, right? And you don't get the best and brightest minds. And one example, I mean, um, a little bit of a spoiler here, but the the film Oppenheimer does a great job in, and they, they say it through a couple jokes. Then they're like, yeah, well, the Nazis are going to lose the war, war. And they're like, the one guy's like, well, why? You know, they're so advanced and this and that. And then he just goes, because they hate Jews more than they want to win. And the whole joke was that, you know, they're kicking out scientists like Albert Einstein and these guys. And I kind of thought of it and I laughed too. I'm thinking like, yeah, you had some of the brightest minds in the world were German physicists. They just happen to be Jewish. And to Hitler, it was more important to exterminate Jews than to win the war. So, yeah. so it was just like, so if, you, if you're going to think like that and, and approach a society like that and say, I'm not going to take the best and brightest, I'm going to try and compartmentalize everybody and do this and that, eventually there's going to be some sort of um, well, remember, there's going to be though, some other nation that is using the best and brightest. Well, but remember, though, that feeds into the hierarchical aspect, though, because in the fascist mind, those aren't the best and brightest. They can't be the best and brightest because they're not at Correct. the top of the hierarchy. Yeah. And, and so it gives you a it, it, it gives you a short sightedness that you see this a lot with racism. You see this a lot with with these isms types of things. It makes people ill, inequip, ill-equipped to judge people by their character to judge people by their actual ability and talent because you come in with such a preconceived notion on what somebody should be based on what they look like or based on what God they pray to or anything like that. But it actually handicaps you from being able to actually do real appraisals of people and say, okay, yeah. well, who is, we walk into a room, who is the smartest guy in this room? You're just looking for a guy that looks a certain way. And actually yeah. a smart person is looking and saying, well, who's the one that is talking a certain way or who's the one that is behaving a certain way? That's how I'm going to figure out who the smartest guy is. So it handicaps you in a way, like you said, that would come back to bite. The other thing I'll mention, and I want to move to the next part is just what we're seeing with, and this offend, as, as an attorney, this offends me, um, it, you know, personally. But I mean, it's offensive to just the nature of what we're trying to do here in, in, a, in a government of the people, by the people, for the people, is the violent and dehumanizing rhetoric. And in a recent yeah. example of this was was DeSantis vowing to start slitting throats when he gets into office. Like, and what you have there, you know, at least from what I'm seeing, is that we're, he's he's mimicking. What he thinks the diehards, the diehards aren't with him right now, but he's mimicking what he thinks that they want, gunning for that top spot. He wants to be the next guy in line, you know, for that top spot to build the curse of personality around himself. Now, he, whether he has it or not is a whole not, it being the charisma and all the other factors that it takes to become somebody like that. I don't know. But just the mimicking of that behavior, because the violent rhetoric has been shown to be either acceptable or to, to, to the more moderate people or at, it embraced to the more, the, to the people that are more radical, you know, so that, that that's creeping in. And, and the, the, you know, when you have death threats being common or, you know, just 
guys running up in the sp- in the homes of spouses of political people, like trying to you know throw them, hit hit them with hammers and stuff like that. Like that type of stuff. That's a direction that does. That's going in the fascist direction. You know, like yeah. that 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 violent suppression and the use of the intimidation and all that kind of stuff. Remember, January sixth was supposed to be an effort in intimidation. You have all those yeah, people no, outside. That's why I joked with, about with, it earlier. Yeah, you know, nooses and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you guys better do what we want to do. Yeah, that's where I talk about the violence being accepted. And that, I want to be very clear, too, because I know some people could be listening to us discussing this. Well, you know, there's people that support Democrats that are on the street, you know, throwing bottles at, you know, cop cars and stuff like that. And look, we don't condone violence by anybody. The difference, I think, what we're saying here is that the political leadership talks like this on one side. They don't generally talk like that on the other side. Of course, there's riffraffs in every group and every organization and, and, and political, you know, uh, uh, thing. But like you said, we've got a governor of Florida who's running for president of the United States. And he said on day one, I'm going to slit their throats, meaning talking about federal employees. We have a president of the United States or former president of the United States that when he was campaigning in 2016, told people in the crowds of his rallies that punch him in the face, I'll pay for your legal bills. These aren't so things, that's a good point because yeah. the, the comparison is you don't have Joe Biden out there telling demonstrators to go turn over police cars. Yeah, like that's not that's what, what I mean. Like that, it's not, people, an, it's people not that, an analogous situation. Yeah, people that support him might do that, and and that's wrong. I'm not here to condone that. But what I'm saying is leadership's important, and the direction that leaders go, we can see with the GOP, for example, that as they embraced a certain type of leader. A lot of people went that direction and to the point we've talked about this on different shows where by 2020, the party platform at their whole convention was like, we don't have a platform. It's whatever this man wants to do. And they put that in writing. And the party platform is usually a pretty expansive thing. Yeah, where, where they go like it's all these things, all these, all the constituencies. Remember all the coalitions that come together beforehand, before the election in the United States states system. They all come together, and here's what we want. Here's what we want. You know, we're trying to get rid of this. We're trying to you know put this in. We're trying to get rid of Social Security, or we're trying to get rid of abortion, or all these things. The party platform is usually filled with all that kind of stuff. They yeah. just had one, whatever Trump said. You well, know, which that's is, what which is unprecedented about, in, it, in terms of modern politics. But think about going back to the economics. That's what ends up eventually, if you allow that to continue in a society, that's what necessarily leads to the misallocation of resources. Yeah. Because how can you have an a political party that is supposed to be serious in running a country, but like you said, doesn't lay out a bunch of you know? Well, you can that, if you have the person, the cult of personality, but it just doesn't go anywhere good. Yeah. You know, is what kind of your point. You can have it, but that's just an admission that all we're, we're our organizing principle is this guy. But over time, you'll you know, have a not, misallocation of resources. Because remember, yeah, no, I mean, so I'm saying, it, the, doesn't, it doesn't go in a direction that's productive. Yeah, know, I'll like, say so. this is a joke because this was true. Remember, one of the big things that he really wanted to do as president was to start having military parades like they do in African countries and, you know, where they have dictators or where they do like in, in Russia like and in stuff. Like in fascist regimes. Yeah, as well. that's my point, like to prove how tough we are. And I'm thinking like, Okay, so that'll be a billion dollars spent on one day with all that jet fuel and all that. Like, and, and, and if you take those examples and multiply them out by just one person because they want to do something and we're just going to now take the country in this direction, you can see how you can get a misallocation of resources, even though it seems orderly because only one guy is running it versus the, the current system we have, which may sometimes feel disorderly. But because you have so many different hands in the pot and actually people trying to compete you know, for to 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 get the bottom line of profit and things like that, our system tend. That's why we won World War II. I mean, because like we said, yeah. right? Well, 
Let me just finish here. Hitler would not hire Jews to build the atomic bomb and to be physicists because he hated Jews. America had Jim Crow, but in the end, we done shows on Tuskegee Airmen. When they needed it, they still called up blacks and said, get in those planes and go fight. And that's the difference is just using the resources you have, you know, no matter what to win versus saying, I can only do this the pure way. Yeah. And you can extrapolate that out to, to, to economics. You can extrapolate yeah. out that to innovation, you know, all types of things. If you are, and that's one of the reasons, you know, in us, in this country, you know, people push for getting more, getting everyone an opportunity to grow, you know, whether it be educationally and everything like that is because we don't know who the, the people are in the next generation that are going to leap us forward. And if we got swaths of people who never get the opportunity, we're potentially closing the door on someone who could, you know, solve this problem or that problem. So, you know, I, but before we get out of here on yeah, this but topic, if, if if they don't look like me, it doesn't count. Remember that <laughs> we don't want it. It's, that's your point, though. If they don't, if it, they don't fit this characteristic, then I don't want it. I'd rather exactly. You know, that's I'd rather die than have someone who doesn't look a certain way or pray to the right God save the day. So, and that's you know, that's very self defeating from a big picture standpoint. But and that's I'll say this just you know before we move, like that's one of the things to me. A lot of these things with the. The, the, the kind of setup in terms of what the academics say about fascism, they seem to be built around feeding ego and feeding the emotion of the people that are, you know, that are dis disillusioned or this leader, you know, like it's about it's not about substance. It's about I can make you feel good, you know, and then, you know, when, once I'm making you feel good, I can kind of do whatever I want to do you know, yeah. type of thing. And so that's one of the again, that's distinct from a just a, a run of the mill authoritarian system, which again, fascism is an authoritarian system, but it's a specific kind. And it's different from the run of the mill though, because it's, you're not necessarily, you're just saying, Hey, I, I got the military in a traditional or in, in a run of the mill authoritarian system. Hey, I got all the guns. Do what I say. You're not saying I'm going to make you feel good about being in this country, you know, cause again, nationalism is a part of it as well. I'm going to make you feel good about being a supporter of me. So then you know, follow me with this. So you know, but the last thing I want to ask you on this is uh, where do you think in the United States this goes from here? Like I said, I don't think that step five, you know, according to the historian, I don't think they accomplished that. I think that was in a sense what was trying to happen uh, with the elect overturning the election. But our laws held, you know, and we had people that, that they were he wasn't able to Trump wasn't able to, 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 to change the things he needed to change to keep power once it looked like he was losing the election or once he lost the yeah. election. But where do you think we go from here? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know. I think um, we need to wait, honestly, another 18 months because right now, former President Trump is number one on, in the polls on the GOP side. I mean, that we got a, more than a year to the election, which is forever in politics. So I know that can change. But like you said, it didn't work. The January 6th thing, and it barely didn't work. You know, it's always certain individuals who knows if Mike Pence would have, you know, uh, had he not behave the way he did, how this would have looked. You know, we might yeah. have had martial yeah. law, right? And so I think if President Trump wins the next election, he'll have learned from his mistakes. And, you know, it could be a totally different story. So I don't know where we go from here. Um, it doesn't feel good right now looking at where we are because what, what I think, here's what I'd say. I got no idea where we go, and I'm not trying to predict it, but I think it's fascinating to watch this energy of, like, we've just gone through a conversation of drawing a line that there's one of two major political parties in this country, which appears, I'm not going to call them fascist 
100%, but they've taken, they've gone down some fascist roads and taken down some, some of their tendencies. And I, th- I find it fascinating that a country that has in its first amendment, the freedom of the press, for example, and, the, and that the government can't suppress your speech, that we have this tension now where you have in a, in a free country, people with this energy trying to impose this type of way of being. And I think it's, there's going to be a clash because the two can't coexist. Well, yeah, forever. the clash is happening so. now. You see with the, with the attempt to impose rule of law on Donald Trump has yeah. led, there's people out there threatening judges, threatening jurors. No, I know. Like this is and, and like, this that's is, why this I say is, I don't this know. is a boiling point. This is something that could bring you to a boiling point because if you have people that have gone, and again, they haven't gone all the way there, but they've gone in a fascist direction and you're going after the cult of personality head, that could bring things to a head. You know, we, yeah. we don't know, you know, but I would say where this goes from here is unknowable at this point. Um, and I think not enough Americans recognize the depth of the threat that we're experiencing right now. You know, and the, what I mean by that is that this is an honest goodness attempt to take out the democratic system that we have in place. This is like a real honest to goodness attempt. Like not just, oh, if we have time, you know, maybe we'll do this. But no, it's like, look, we need the, the mindset of the people that are trying to take out our democratic system. We need to, to, to be the winner regardless of how, of how the votes go. You know, and that's how that's how you get away from free and fair elections. That's, you know, elections that are predetermined. That's how Putin gets 90 something percent of the vote, you know, in his country. And that's that's not necessarily an organic way that that happens. And so this is an honest to goodness, goodness attempt. But because our nation is so partisan right now, there's, there's a lot of people that cannot they're just their their cognitive dissonance won't allow them to see what's going on. And so. And then you have other people that I think underestimate the threat in the same way that you had the Germans looking at Hitler at the beginning, like, oh, this guy, you know, he has the people all fired up. We'll use that charisma, but we'll be able to control him. And so what I think is going to have to have to happen is that things are going to have to be brought to a head. I will say that a lot of Americans seem to have a, a, a sufficient level of distaste for a lot of the things that happens. But because there's a reinforcement, a constant reinforcement of how bad things are and how the, 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 everything is so going so poorly. Like everybody thinks the economy is bad, even though the numbers say the economy is good. Like there's this constant negative reinforcement of what's happening in the country that you always have to watch out for people falling into the ends justify the means mindset. And that may not be a coincidence that we're, we're seeing this kind of play out like that, but because ends justify the means is the only way I think that we actually slip into a fascist, more of a fascist type of a system. As long as I think there are enough Americans that have a distaste for that, that for the the direction that this stuff would go, for the intimidation and the violence and stuff, that it wouldn't get there unless they thought that hey, if it is critical race theory so important, keeping that out of schools so important that even if your leader lies, cheats, steals, threatens people, it's okay because we got to keep critical race theory out of the school. Well, I think you know, that's, that's where that's the kind of mentality. Like I said, if that takes and, over, where we could slip into a bad place. But that's where the need to control at least certain organs of the media and to have the the alternative universe, you know, the alternative facts, because. You have to disturb people to really think that it is that bad if you don't win, meaning you as a fascist leader, that, yeah, if if you don't elect me, then your kids are going to be taught CRT while they're learning how to be trans, while, um, you know, um, 
you know, some pedophile is, is the teacher while this, while that, you know, it's like always the worst of everything that can happen if you don't pick me. It's and like so, a religious type of thing as well. Yeah, I, that's what always reminds me of. It's kind of the like, yeah, cult is, of personality. You know, well, but that, yeah, that, like in religion, oftentimes it's like whatever the the the, per, the 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 spirit you're not supposed to like is described as the worst, all these terrible things, you know? And so it's like, this is what they're doing to political people now is like all anything that's bad, this is what this person is. But I, I, I do want to get to the next topic. The second topic we want this. The, the the second topic we wanted to discuss today was Ozempic and, and the new weight loss drugs, relatively new. I mean, Ozempic was an anti-diabetes drug. And then they have a, a another one that is for weight loss that uh, specifically, but both of them have helped people lose a lot of weight, you know, obese people and then the people not even obese, the, the, these injections. And there's, there's more coming online now. But basically, what is being observed with the use of these drugs. And, and one, I should say that the scientists admit they don't know 100% why the mechanisms on why it makes people lose the amount of weight that it does, but it does make people lose weight. And the more notable thing about it is that the way that it has people lose weight is that it seems to rewire their brains a bit where they don't, they eat less, they want to eat less. They don't, they're not hungry and oh, I'm, they're, they're going through the deprivation, anything like that. They want to eat less. And they're, they're content eating less. And so it, it really has, in many respects, thrown the debate of, oh, people are overweight because they lack willpower or they're, they're, they're too lazy or they don't move around enough. It's throwing that on its head because now it's like, well, hold on, all these same people, if you give them this injection, then they no longer want to overeat. Then, you know, like they, it changes kind of the way that they're functioning. So it's a question of biology versus willpower. Biology looks to have got the upper hand. So Tony, what's your thoughts on, on Ozempic and this, you know, the, the, the kind of biology versus willpower debate or anything that's going around here? No, it's interesting, man. I think this is an interesting topic since it's so popular and it obviously works. Number one, it's interesting to see this, this kind of nature versus nurture discussion about weight and weight loss, because I know that just like we've learned, um, remember, we've talked about this in different discussions too, things like alcoholism or drug addiction used to be seen as a, um, as a moral failing. And then scientific research and, and the medical community uh, had us all now understand that these are actually like diseases and different way that some people's brains are made up, right? Oh, like yeah, you and I signaling in their brain. Yeah, you is, and I can drink is, a yeah. beer or a glass of whiskey and be fine. Someone else does it and they, they are an alcoholic. You know, they're they their brain every day from there yeah. on out. Yeah. So I think it's something similar. That's what I find interesting about it that obviously researchers are, are looking at the human body all the time. And like you said about this Ozempic being able to either add to or manipulate one of the hormones in our bodies that regulates certain things like maybe the urge to eat or how we metabolize things and process things. So I think what this could do, um, I think in a positive way for people that are obese and have not been able to have any relief any other way is maybe allow them to lose weight um, and participate in society in a different way um, when maybe they were genuinely trying to lose weight and they couldn't because, and again, we look, meaning not me and you, but our society has looked at obesity as a moral failure just like it did with with alcoholism and addiction, um, because the moral failing is, oh, you're, you're sloppy, you're undisciplined, you eat too much. But again, medical research has now shown that that's not necessarily the case. And, and you said it offline to me on a private conversation, how many people are thin and eat like crap constantly, you know, yeah. drink alcohol. And so, so being slim versus being obese isn't about necessarily all the time. Sometimes it could be about habits, but other times it's just about how your body is made up. And yeah, so yeah, this yeah. thing well, could allow people to um, 
live different lifestyles where they can exercise and more. Healthier. And yeah. like, you remember a lot of money is spent on the, the diabetes stuff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you reduce the weight, you can, you can reduce that. I think, I mean, on one hand, this is like a miracle drug, you know, like, yeah. all, like I remember I've been interested in fitness forever and like all the bodybuilding magazines and, uh, and, you know, athletic, you know, men's health, all that kind of stuff. Everybody, people are always looking for like, oh, you just take this and then your body just gets in great shape. You know, like you work out with it, but you know, like you, you, you do this and, you know, you lean up, you know, and all that or lean out, all that. So it seems like that, but there's a couple of things. And one of the mechanisms that seem to be at play is a concept I've read about in the past year or two is called the weight set point where your body kind of sets a, here's what, here's the weight I want to be. And then it modulates your consumption, energy consumption and energy use to get to that weight and to stay at that weight. And so what this is able to do uh, presumably, or what, what some of the explanations I've, I've read that people are, are their hypothesis, or maybe even a theory at this point, is that this is changing the wet, weight set point. It's lowering their weight set point. So their body then gets on all aligned on the program. Like we want to be, instead of being at 300 pounds, we want to be at 220, you know, or something like that. And so, which would then not, then your body does the rest and say, okay, yeah. well, we, wanted, we decided we want to be at 220. So we're going to change your habits, you know, without you knowing of to get you to 220. And with the concept of the weight set point, the thing I think this that raises another question, though, that is not answered at all. Or not, I don't even see, hear people asking this question. Well, what happened in the United States and other, I guess, countries where this is an issue? This isn't all over the world where everybody's obese. This is like a few countries where this is happening. So what happened to cause so many people's weight set point to get thrown off? And so it has to be more going on here. <laughs> That's the real mystery to unravel here, well, though, is because... Then you got to look at the food industry and the whole <laughs> lobbying system, man. Come on, that's too much. Let's go just take this there drug. There be man. a lot of culprits for that, but you're, yeah. You're like, asking too many questions here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am, because I'm like, well, hold up. What happened to everybody? Why did all these people's weight set point get thrown off in the first place? Like, that's to me, that's the natural question here. If, if the answer is, because part of the problem with the drugs is that so what they've seen so far is that, that your weight set point will change down to whatever something else. It'll go down. But then if you get off the drug, it, it, it what they've seen so far is your weight set point will go back up. So then you have to start depriving yourself again if you want to stay at the lower weight. You won't just stay there because your body's then you know it, the spell is broken, so to speak. Now, that may be the drug industry talking, though, so I don't know. But I haven't tried. I, don't, I haven't tried the drug, so I don't know what happens to people. But ultimately... It's just interesting to me that it's like, well, there, there was something happened in the 1950s through 80s that threw off everybody's or, you know, a large number of people's weight set point. And what is that? Yeah. That's called trans fats, uh, processed <laughs> food, fast food. Probably um, all the answers we already have. You're right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's there's, there's a lot going on there. But, you know, it's another uh, cute fun fact I found in just preparing for this mm. <laughs> that uh, um, Ozempic is made by a company called Norvo Nordisk. Uh, which is a... Uh, You're about to talk at our market cap? Yeah, a Danish yeah. company from Denmark. <laughs> and they're freaking the thing so popular now, their market cap of the company, which is the 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 value of the shares times the amount of shares outstanding. So basically the value of the company yeah. is now equal to the... No, it's it's actually surpassed... It's greater the, than... The entire country's GDP. Yeah, which is, which their is entire home country. Which they is have 400 billion. Cap. Yeah, I'm like damn, I thought Denmark put out a little more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Denmark is tiny. I know, but I mean, shit, we're putting out like 25 trillion a year in GDP. I thought they were like maybe a trillion or something like that. But, <laughs> hey, but anyway, well, it's just this this company I keeps going. That, they will be. Yeah, I appreciate that Danes brought us, you know, the the the, the modern uh, corporation and fractional banking. So they did a lot historically. <laughs> they taught the British how to do it, you know. But 
but um, you know, the Dutch East India company and all that. But it's just fascinating that one company with this drug is now has a greater value than it's what their the country grail, man. What, the what their grail. country produces. <laughs> at least in at least in the the overweight countries of the world, this is like the holy grail. Like my mind, I was like, huh. Now, this doesn't solve the issue of having like a toned body, you know, like people who like to exercise and people who like to have muscle definition and stuff like that. This doesn't do that for anybody. But I'm like, man, I, I enjoy working out. So this isn't something I would want. But I hope they don't come up with some injection. <laughs> you start taking this injection and your muscles start bulging out. You get yeah. all swole and stuff like that because this is just mind blowing from that standpoint. The other thing that I'll say, and I, I, mean, I can I can be done after this, but I, I had to say it. You mentioned this to me, and I I I was laughing about it for like an hour after we got off the phone because it just <laughs> cracked me up. And it was you were talking about how how many people were vaccine skeptics, but that are fully on board with the Ozempic. All these people that were so so many experts on vaccine yeah. science, but that no questions asked on this. It's like yo work. Give that to me. Well, it so shows that's just, you, no, I mean, it me shows you the importance of messengers. Yeah. Uh, it also shows you, I mean, look, I can appreciate, and this is not about messengers, we have a good streak in our country of um, not trusting authority and not wanting the government to tell us what to do. So I guess, you know, people started feeling and getting, whether it was true or imagined, um, felt like someone else was telling them they had to take the vaccine versus I guess Ozempic is just, it's out there and you can choose to take it. But In to fact, your point, there's like a shortage, you need a prescription. So it's yeah. actually harder to get. Yeah. So it's probably making more people want yeah, it. You're right. People feel like they're on the outside. They got to get in. And, yeah. um, but it's, but it's, but, but it's, tell you this, though. but to, uh -huh. in response to that, I'll tell you this. I think that if, Joe Biden or Donald Trump tried to make Ozen tried to make everybody take Ozempic. I don't. I still don't think you'd have the same pushback because I just think weight is something. I mean, obviously, it's a societal thing. Every people be like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see." I'll, uh, At least people you know that are overweight. Like I said, I mean, obviously, somebody like you, we, would, we wouldn't want you'd be gone. <laughs> yeah. have you on that thing <laughs> i uh yeah my wife's already worried that i'm that i'm that i'm losing too much weight and what's wrong with me but um no it's it's funny because it it and and even though like we said there's probably some psychology that's true behind what we said about being feeling like you're told to do something versus something else feeling like it's scarce you know there's scarcity but i just feel like but it's the same thing which is you're injecting your body with something that was made by a pharmaceutical company and you got no idea what's in it. Really. Yep. And it's yep. just yep. one one people run into it and the other was like, Oh, there's gonna be nanobots and, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five G up stuff. Yeah, yeah all this exactly. Stuff like like every it, single it, cell phone I think is five G. <laughs> but remember, this was my point then. Yeah, if they wanted to put something in a in a in a shot that was gonna throw you off, it wouldn't be in the COVID vaccine. It would be either be in it'd be in something like this. <laughs> you know, we'd get everybody with this. Yeah. But not, but but I mean, it's it's like I said, it's still great. It's great that people are having better health health outcomes, and then we'll see how society plays out in society. But it's, I mean, it's quite remarkable. But uh, we close it up from there. We appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Guanlana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.